Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life and make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, think like a producer. I love this definition by a fairygodboss.com. In essence, a producer is the CEO of a small business that is creating a TV show or segment from start to finish. Here to discuss is Brian Balthazar, who has built an impressive career simultaneously in front and behind the camera as a television host, producer, and network executive. Brian is the executive producer and founder of Balthazar Entertainment, specializing in compelling lifestyle programming, including Christina in the Country for HGTV. And Brian oversaw the launch of the fourth hour of today with Kathy Lee and Hoda, where he later became a beloved guest discussing pop culture and trends and was a co-executive producer of The View. And he was a vice president at Discovery Networks, now Warner Brothers Discovery, where he oversaw such mega hits as Flip or Flop and My favorite to this day, love it or list it. Welcome, Brian. Hello. Great to see you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh my God. As I was saying, when we were hopping on the call, I have wanted to have this conversation with you ever since we would book you as a guest on page six TV back in the day, and you were the best guest. And I realize it's because you're a television producer and a network executive, and you understand how all of this comes together and what makes good TV. Oh, thank you so much. That's very kind. Thank you. So, I so first that. of all, I want to see if even you agreed with that definition of the idea of being the CEO of a small business. Yeah. You know, I want to get into like, what does a producer do? Or in your mind, what does, how does a producer think? Well, I think, you know, in thinking about this topic leading up to our conversation, I was, I was thinking about it as, you know, really about storytelling, you know, certainly producers, have a lot more logistics say than perhaps, you know, many of your listeners, many of the listeners who are solely pursuing an on-camera or on-air job. Um, there can be a level of logistics that a producer will handle that uh, that's additional to the on-air role, right? But I do think one thing that the producer is doing is thinking about how you tell a story as much as the on-air person is. And sometimes, sometimes more, frankly, depending on the show, depending on the project. Um, so they are looking ahead to something and, and trying to see how you tell a story. And I think it's really about, you know, one thing a producer also does is really connect with all the different people and the various elements of a program. And so I think when you're on air, if you're thinking about what, the producer in your would do to make a segment better, to tell a story more compellingly. Is that the word? Compellingly? Yes. Um, but also like, you know, there's a difference between live and tape, but on, in a live program, um, you're really thinking in real time, like about all the production elements, the moving parts, and, and what will make the viewer keep watching. Because with live, it's really about keeping that viewership, keeping retaining, retaining that viewer. So I think it's kind of a long answer, which is why we're going to continue talking about it. But the bottom line is it's like, I think producers are really, you know, organized storytellers. And yes, a, a non-air person can do that as well. But I think producers just take in a larger scope of the environment surrounding the story you're telling in many cases. And I think that can really help you. That's why I wanted to have this conversation because I think that it makes anybody who's on air better at mm -hmm. what they do for understanding how these yeah. all, things all work together. And yeah. what you just said too, I love is the fact that you're always keeping the viewer top of mind. Yeah. 
And yeah. that's something really, really important for anybody communicating on camera mm-hmm. that your idea doesn't exist in a vacuum or that story that you're sharing or that gossip tidbit or, or whatever, you have to meet the audience where they are. Yeah. And I think the producer in you is always thinking about that. And then on a technical level, that means you really understand the beats or as you were just saying, it's like, how do we make that more compelling? So sometimes you understand the order in which something must be, should be presented. Right. The tanks, right. On the beats, all those things that come up. Yeah. Particularly. I remember when I was at the today show, all the producers there, will write suggested questions for the anchor or host or whomever to guide them through what could, a one way that in which the segment could go. And I remember being very flattered when the anchor at the time followed my questions uh, because one, it was a an expression of trust, right? But also because I had really thought through those questions because I knew if they asked this question, they were probably going to get this answer, which would then lead them to potentially something really groundbreaking or newsmaking or really interesting. And of course, producers behind the scenes are coming up with research and packets that give you a broader sense of who that person is. But, you know, from the perspective of being an on-air person, I will say like, you know, I've as, as you mentioned, I was fortunate enough to guest host on uh, on Page Six TV, on People Now, on the fourth hour of the Today Show, on Wendy Williams when she was away. And I think what it has also helped me do emotionally, because as we all know, as you said, when you're an on-air talent, you are selling yourself. You are the product. You are the small business and the business is yourself. It's like, you know, when you go into someone's house, back in the day, there used to be traveling vacuum salesmen or saleswomen. You know, they'd go to door to door and try and sell a vacuum. And if the homeowner decided they didn't want that vacuum, you could compartmentalize. Oh, that's okay. They didn't like this vacuum. No. When it's yourself and someone says, no, it's a lot harder to do that. It's a lot harder to say, oh, they didn't like me. That's okay. You know, but when you're a producer, when you have worked in production, you also are able to see sometimes that, oh, it's not personal. Sometimes it's going to feel real personal, really personal. But other times, you know, I was, I was, I've auditioned for a million shows and been on a million shows that I didn't get. Um, and then I've had a lot of things that I have gotten. But when I think back to some of those things I didn't get, particularly panel shows, a lot of talk shows for a period of time were panel shows. Page Six TV was one. Um, I've auditioned for a couple that don't even have titles yet because they never got they never got on the air. But I auditioned at the time and it felt very real. But I could look around the room and say, okay, I know what they're doing here. I know what they're casting. And I know if that guy gets it, I'm probably not going to get it because we're in the same category as far as the producers are concerned. I know they want this woman. They want to have a diverse cast. So I know they want to have this guy and they probably aren't going to want two gay guys. I know this. This is the reality. I know they're probably not going to want two gay guys because they're going to have one and they have four slots and they're going to have, you know, what I, mean? like, I just, it doesn't always sound pretty but you start to realize how some of those producers are probably thinking. And that's when you're like, oh, it's not personal. They, they just had that one. So I'm probably not gonna get this. And, and you, know, we, you certainly try and manifest and be positive as much as you can, but you also come to understand some of the realities of the business that I probably wouldn't emotionally be able to handle if I hadn't been a producer first. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, no, that's exactly the point of this episode and why I was so excited to talk to you because you have such unique experience and how all these things come together and we'll jump all over the place. But just as you were saying that, so, you know, a lot of on-air talent know that it's also um, important in their careers to be able to develop or have, you know, pitch ideas. It increases your likelihood 
yeah. um, of getting on air. So I wanted to connect that to what you just said, because you think like a producer, because you are a producer and you are a network executive, mm-hmm. you know how this all this works. So it also, because you're, you are creating and selling shows right now as am, you and yeah. I speak and you're yeah. on location and you have a shoot starting tomorrow for a new show. I'm sure I'm going to love. So yes. With Hillary say- Farr, by the way, with Hillary Farr from Love It or List It. So we're doing season two of a show I'm executive producing of a show called Tough Love with Hillary Farr. And um, it's in Raleigh where they also have shot Lever to List It for many years. And now we're kind of taking a, a different approach. We've done a season already and it did very well, thankfully. And now we're doing season two and it starts tomorrow. And it's it's a delight and it's exciting. And I love that I get to do both of those things. Yeah. Just, you know, any thoughts, little nuggets, you know, gems of wisdom that you can share of somebody who's coming from the on-air camera, on camera side to be able to say like you know, how you need to be thinking when you're coming up with a, a concept or a pitch, yeah. because let's face it, when you're coming, typically when you're coming up with an idea and you're a host, you are putting yourself front and center and are not necessarily thinking best storytelling. Right, right. How does well, this all flow? Um, well, if you're pitching yourself, say as a guest on a show, is that one example you think, or are you enjoy, or pitching a I, show itself? Yeah, I meant you know the idea that many people come going. I have an idea for a show, and I want yeah. to host. I'm like, that's great. I mean, the more if you can create content and do mm-hmm. things, that's yeah. wonderful. And we can yeah. talk about a bajillion strategies around that. But you're actually someone who's literally, I get to say, the triple threat. You're actually more oh. of like a quadruple, and I don't know what the five would Thank be, you. but you Thank know you. what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank um, you. That's very nice of you to say. Thank you. So I think you know. Having worked at HGTV for many years, now I work independent of them and I produce shows for them. But um, one of the things I came to realize is people would come in a lot and think they had an idea that was so far and apart different than anything we'd ever heard before. And the reality is, is almost every idea has been pitched to them, truly. Um, I once got pitched to show that they were certain was spectacular. And the honest to goodness answer I had for them was, it airs next week with the same title you pitched like it already has been it, not only was the idea you know identical it had already been shot and it's airing in a week so that was humbling to them because a lot of people are like i've got to protect my idea and um and someone's going to steal like somebody probably already has your idea and um it really is just about believing in it but also trying to find any way that it can differentiate itself from something else to make it unique and you know that's probably why you see such unique shows out there. Um, there was a show called Dishmantled, right? And the, the concept was is chefs or cooks were wearing goggles and a dish was exploded onto <laughs> their faces and they had to taste it, whatever, like, it was literally just, just an explosion of that food on them. And then they had to taste it and t- determine what it was. Was it was it lasagna? Was it spaghetti? Like, but they were blindfolded. They only could go on taste. And I believe they were blindfolded now that I think about it. And they were, but they were wearing goggles so they wouldn't get it in their eyes. Now, I thought it was brilliant because truly it had never been pitched before in a genre. When you think about the food genre, much of it has been pitched, you know, much of it, you know, you see, in fact, you see a lot of similar themes in genre, in that genre. You see a lot of similar themes in dating. The dating genre is one where, you know, Dating blind was like, everyone was talking about it because forever we had only seen 20 people in a mansion competing for one person. And this was completely different, you know? So it is like like really saying, okay, what is a different twist that's going to make a network say, oh, that is different. That is something that 
I need to have because I've never heard of it before. So really, you really have to set the bar and the lens very specifically on that. And then obviously you're probably trying to pitch something for yourself if you're if you're a talent. And so that's where you're probably going to want to have one, have examples of that. Like I, I find a lot of people on their social feeds, they want to have a TV show about entertainment or pop culture, but I look on their feed and they're not doing any of that. And it's not, it's easier than ever to shoot with an iPhone camera and edit with your, uh, or whatever phone you have and edit on your phone, a one minute example of what that is and keep doing it. One, you'll get better practice at it. Let's say you wanted to do an entertainment show and you want to talk about what's trending in entertainment, then do it now because, or start a podcast and do it because so many podcasts become TV shows because networks are risk averse. They don't want to imagine what, the show is going to be like they can imagine the production values imp being improved but they they can't imagine how you as a talent will be on that show so give it to them i find so many times uh, when i look at someone's instagram feed and they are they want to be on tv and i look at their feed and i'm like is that what you want or do you want to be a model because that's all i'm seeing i only see you posing and so like if you and this is particularly you know this happens a lot in home. This happens a lot in food. This happens a lot in entertainment. I'm like, if you want to be that, move in front of the camera because no one knows what your voice sounds like in a filtered photo. And uh, so I, I do think people need to now more than ever present themselves on social as they want to be presented in whatever medium it is they're trying to get into. Oh, amen. Masterclass. Could not agree with you more. <laughs> I actually want to go back to what you said about the, you know the pitch for the, the sure. cooking or lifestyle show that was aired yeah. the following week. And I don't know how that meeting wrapped up, but th those examples have taught me from you know many successful people in the past, always saying you never go in with one idea because that yeah. happens all the time. I mean, yeah. to people who have gajillion credits that you know, mm -hmm. you've been watching their shows and they go in and going, so, um, oh, okay, well, you know, it's funny. What about this? And and then yeah. there and there are a lot of great stories that famous executive producers talk about the time that they pulled an idea out of their hat, if you will, mm -hmm. like in real mm -hmm. time in that meeting when they discovered that thing they'd worked so hard on mm -hmm. was airing the following week. It happens to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, yeah, as you said, uh, you're first of all, you're you don't know when you're going to get another meeting with that executive. So if you're going in with one idea and you book 15 minutes and then you're done in five, ugh, you know, that's rough. Um, so have another, another one in your back pocket and of the two that you really think you're going to pitch, have another one that's in your back pocket, you know, that's just kind of like, oh, well, even if it's just a quick spitballing of this thing or a colleague of mine and dear friend, Nancy Glass, who is the parent company of my um, production company, she's a master at this. She's just a master at this because she is a talent who's also a producer. <laughs> You know, and so she understands like in that meeting, that is a performance for her as much as anything she's done on TV, because she is selling them on an idea and she can come up with an idea that quickly based on what they're telling her they're looking for, because she's been doing this a while, too. And she's got an arsenal of ideas that may have been passed on before. or Maybe she can tweak that one idea based on what they're saying. And on that note, don't assume you're going to remember every great idea you have. Use your iPhone notes write things down. How many times have we been lying in bed and saying, this idea is so brilliant. I know I'll remember it in the morning. And then it's gone. At eight, at, at, I mean, I'm, a, I'm appalled at how much I forget. Yeah. <laughs>
I'm really appalled at it. It's just terrible. Um, Wait, so, because yeah. I, I love this because you've been on both sides of this. You pitched, but you received pitches when you were at HGTV. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you've kind of just shared them, but I'm trying to imagine like what were some of those moments for you? And I just picture you like, you know, twisting in your chair because it's like, now I'm Brian pitching. Now yeah. I'm Brian receiving a pitch. Oh, I will say I'm still learning. We are all students of this, of whatever we're doing. I hope anytime that I think I've gotten really great at it, I'm sure life will smack me in the face and tell me, guess what? You know, because the industry is changing so much. And um, and that is an adjustment for me because, you know, I still, I love the network side. I love being the one to be able to make the choices. Now I'm the one kind of singing for my supper. That's hard for me because I'm not 100% great at it yet. Truthfully, I've been very fortunate. I have three series going right now and I, I'm very grateful for that. But I still, I'm always going to be like figuring out how am I going to do this? What's the next thing? And that is the nature of, that's the nature of this business. So if we're looking for consistency or fairness, we are in the wrong business, unfortunately. But when it's working out, it's so great. It's such a great adrenaline rush and so wonderful. And it can be just a delirious feeling. I wanted to ask, how are being a producer and being a network executive similar and how are they different? I mean, they're way different in many, many yeah. ways, but I wanted it because you've worn all these hats. Well, I do think they're very similar in that idea conception and story development and the collaboration is there. I mean, it's that, you know, producers, the, the definition of a producer can vary from genre to genre. So um, in the case of a long form series, the producers are the ones really making that and kind of financing it and um, managing you know, tomorrow, like, for example, is the first day of shooting. And I, you know, I'm fortunate to have a great team that is making sure there's an RV on location for the talent and, you know, and that, that we'll be able to do hair and makeup and that we have someone to drive it and that we have craft services for the people and that we have enough producers and that we have all the research packets written up tonight so we can go over it in a couple hours. Now, if you're a producer on the Today Show, you're, it's a little bit different because you're doing a couple segments tomorrow and maybe not for another three days or maybe every day. It could be very different. So as a network executive, I was thinking and always trying to develop ideas and kind of seeing what I was kind of producing from the perspective of what the overall viewer at this network would want to see. Um, as a producer of my, at my own company, I'm looking to see what can I sell that this network executive will want. But also, if they don't want it, where else can I take it? Because is it just for one network? Because that's also probably not a great business model for me to be um, only targeting one network. Uh, you know, And so it's about being able to course correct a certain idea and adapt it for someone else. Because uh, as we all know, like a home show on Bravo looks very different than a home show on HGTV. And a food show on Netflix might look very different than Food Network. I want to say one clarification of what I said earlier, because it's, it's one of those things I do look back on things I say later and question what I was talking about competing for that slot on the panel show. And I was talking about, they're probably going to want one gay guy. I was one of the gay guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not like, I'm like, wait. And you know what? I think that's changing too, by the way, I think we're getting to a place where they're not as wrapped up in some of those things. But I do think when there's a limited number of slots on a show as talent, you do get, that can get in your head. That can get in your head like, okay, are they only going to want two men, two women? They're going to want diversity. Will they want one gay or like that kind of thing. So I, I just, that would be what would get in your head. And you're like, okay, so that's where it, that's where it starts to feel less personal and where you have to just detach yourself from feeling like it's something that you did wrong. It's not, it's not necessarily what you did wrong. Maybe you could be more confident. Maybe you could be more um, in practice. Maybe your chemistry could be better, but there are a lot of unknowables. You'll just never know the answers to some of these questions when you're putting yourself out there as talent.
That's completely true. Having I've cast so many of those panel shows mm -hmm. and, but a couple of things you just touched on one is it a lot has to do with chemistry. So it's mm -hmm. like, you could be amazing. Like individually, you're just amazing, but it's like, we're looking at something as a whole. Yeah. And so it's like, how do literally, how does that energy, if you will, or sense of humor or presence fit in with everything mm -hmm. else? Yeah. So that's a very important thing. So where it's like, it's not, there's nothing, you could not be more awesome. It's just, this is the recipe we were creating mm -hmm. and we needed a different yeah. ingredient. Yeah. But the other thing too, I will tell for people who are more experienced that understanding when we're doing panel shows and it really gets down to when you get into the chemistry test mm -hmm. is the person who has production experience or you coming as a producer, you really are going to know what we're looking for in those tests. It's not mm -hmm. just from experience, but it's yeah. you're coming in, not as like, a, look how amazing I am. You're right. thinking about like, how do I fit into the show? Mm -hmm. Right. And, but and interestingly about that, there's such an interesting story to the page six story, because I came on as a guest host about three, three different weeks. Um, mm -hmm. But I also auditioned to be a main part of the cast and didn't get it. <laughs> so like two years ago earlier, right. I auditioned, I was at the audition and I wasn't Good enough, not good enough. I wasn't no, the right that's, fit. That's, no, hold on. Yeah. Let me rate. No, 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 don't even, don't even. <laughs> Two years ago, I auditioned for that show and it wasn't the right fit. But in fact, the show didn't even launch the first time. Then they re auditioned. I didn't even get called for the second audition. And then you come back as a guest. And the truth is, is I also believe that, um, I, I believe that, you know, this is a little new agey, but you kind of just have to surrender to the ebbs and flows of of life and what's right for you. Um, because, you know, the show was on, I think two years and who knows what would have happened if I did it for two years and then, then it got canceled and what I would have, what would I have done next? You know, like, so I, you kind of have to surrender to life and the flow as, as Oprah says, you just like go with that flow and know if you, you know, there's something pulling you in another direction and it could be an even better opportunity. So I, I can't, you can't second guess all these things. You can't, you know, armchair quarterback, all of it. And frankly, the, the truth is though, sometimes you're not going to be good enough. Sometimes you're going to stutter. You're going to stammer. You know, every time you bake a pie, it comes out different. <laughs> and sometimes you forget to pre-bake the shell before you put in the pumpkin. It's a direct reference to my Thanksgiving this year. I made a million Thanksgiving pumpkin pies this, you know, over the past 20 years. And this year we forgot to pre-bake the shell. So it's like, oh, wait, this is one case where, oh, okay. I could have done better. Could have done better on that pie, but it doesn't make me a bad person. It just means I fouled <laughs> up once. Just fouled up the pie once. Let's be honest. Okay, that was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I want to go way back. I had no idea that you started as a comic. Yes, because you know why? Mm -hmm. Because it was, I was working as a producer at MSNBC. It was just after 9-11 and I was paralyzed with this forlorn, depressed. I wasn't, I, I can't say that I was honestly suffering from depression um, in the clinical sense, but the news was incredibly depressing and saddening. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't feel like I was in control of anything in my life. And so I had always thought about doing it, but I also knew I would need to sign up for a class because I knew if I paid money where the final, usually comedy classes culminate at the end or, you know, end with a a performance. And if I knew if I paid, I would go and do it. So that's why I did it. And I loved doing it. I loved it. I loved, you know, then I did it for a couple of years and I would love to do it again. There was a period when I was like getting so busy with my production work that I'm like, you know, I'll just try and be funny when I'm on TV because I, you know, I was just working all the time. And then in a club late at night, 
I just wanted to be home with my dogs for a little while. So I'm like, let me try and be as funny as I can, which ain't much. <laughs> well, not as much as a six minute set, but um, just insert humor into the things that I do. So that's what I did. That's what I want to ask is how does it um, impact the work that you do? You know, for me, as you said, I do kind of tackle a lot of things. And there are times when I would get booked as an entertainment guest. And I remember one time in particular, I learned to be specific, like, what, Brian, are you, are you booking? Because I was a guest on a CNN show once, and it was about a gymnast, Michaela Maroney, the one who made the sad face. And as they were introducing me, and it was live, um, they said, and I thought they were bringing me on as an entertainment reporter. And then I hear joining us now is stand-up comic Brian Balthazar. And I'm like, oh my God, I need to be hilarious now. And I wasn't emotionally, I mean, I was prepared to be like offbeat, but when you are, when you are going on as a stand-up comic, you want to have, you know, it's, there are many comics who can be spontaneous and that's always an element of spontaneity is obviously an element of comedy, but boy, you really do want to have, you know, comedy isn't all just an accident. It's planned. It's written. Joke structure is a thing that you work on and you practice. And that's why you'll see a, a YouTube clip of someone doing a joke and you're like, I've heard them perform that before. Of course you have, because they are, they are practicing and every audience is different. And sometimes it lands and sometimes it doesn't. So, but it has been tremendously helpful to like establish some fearlessness when I do anything on air, because you need it. You need to just be like ready to do something live and be spontaneous. But um, it really did help me get bookings too, like get on TV because they were really, there was a period when guests on shows needed to be funny and, and needed to have a career as being, or at least perceived career as being funny. But it's helped me in so many ways. I do think it's kind of like either in you or not, and you can work really hard and get better at it. But I think it's going to be a little bit easier for some people who just have an inherent quick wit. And I work hard at trying to be quick-witted, but I'm still blown away by some of the people I see out there that are just so fast, so fast. It's incredible. So how did you make the transition from producers? That was, was producer your first job? Uh, producer was my first job. And then um, actually after I started doing stand-up, it was right around the time The Daily Show was, that was before. Was it before Jon Stewart? It was when they used to do fake interviews. They would do interviews, but they wouldn't tell the interviewee the real reason they were doing the interview. They would lie about who they were coming into the interview and they would edit it in a way that was like, you know, a misrepresentation of the interview for laughs. And everyone knew that when you watched it, you knew that was what it was. So there was no question about what that was. And it was, I think it was 2008. And um, they wanted to send someone to the Republican National, National Convention in Boston and they wanted a daily show feel, but it's still a news organization. So they couldn't do any of the fakery. So they sent me. And um, that was the first time I went and did it. And the first night I went on and they loved it. They just loved it. It was hysterical. I, I interviewed a John Kerry impersonator. I went to some of the protests. Back then, protests were much more off, offbeat and weird. And people. it was really more of like a Comic-Con crowd than it was real anger and angst like you would see today. But um, it was it was really a funny spot and they loved it. And they they said, keep doing them. And then the next, the next night it was so weird. They couldn't air it. They were, it was, no, it was too weird, too funny. Not like it was funny, but they didn't think it would fit in the landscape. And then I kept doing them that week and it was a really fun opportunity. And then, um, then it kind of fizzled out. That was my first time. And then when I was over at NBC, things would come up. And here's one of the things that I did first, I was doing an interview as a producer with Joan Rivers when she put herself out on match.com. She didn't tell anybody she was doing it. She just put a profile out there. She was wearing sunglasses in the photo, but it was clearly Joan. And of course, it, eventually someone spotted it and it made news. So the Today Show wanted to do a story on it. And I, 
I was the producer on it and I booked two cameras and I said, I just, I want to have an extra camera there. I would never have been able to do that today. They're too, you know, frugal with the crews, <laughs> but I dressed up as though I was a reporter on this thing. And I'm like, I'm going to just set it up as a two camera shoot. And then, cause I thought she might need someone to play off of. And I texted the EP at the time, Jim Bell. And I'm like, I think she needs someone else to play off of. She's, he's like, fine. They could always edit it out if they want. So I edited myself into the story and it aired on the Today Show with me and Joan Rivers. And it was fantastic. It started a friendship with Joan Rivers. She invited me to Thanksgiving and Passover and it was fantastic. And we did stories together since. And she, you know, and so that was my first time on the Today Show is doing that Joan Rivers story. And then eventually, anytime an offbeat thing is was coming along, they would they would have me do it. Okay, you created so much opportunity for yourself. That's a fantastic story. No, you know didn't wait the for guts now. You, you just, didn't wait for I, but permission. I'm glad I didn't. You just did it. I'm glad. Yes, yes, exactly. And you know, you have to be careful about how how much you push that. But also, like, it was the perfect. It was the perfect crime. <laughs> <laughs> I've cherished that. I mean, it's a wonderful memory. You have to take some chances on yourself. And so I'm glad I did it when I was young because, you know, I, I think now I probably am more cautious about the chances I take. But, you know, that's also, you know, we're always kind of evolving and learning. And I sometimes need to push myself to do that more, to be honest. Sure. That's a great note. What's the project you're most proud of? Oh, gosh. Oh, you know, uh, it depends. So I will, I don't know what proud of is, I, I think I find myself prouder of things in retrospect. I will say one of the things I did that is like this unicorn on air that I was so thrilled to do was be the roadside street reporter for the Rose Parade in Pasadena on New Year's Day. I was so thrilled to get the opportunity. It was one of the most fun times I've ever had. I brought my partner with me and he was running up and down the street. So it's just this wonderful memory and such a, you know, there there's a finite number of people who get to do a national parade coverage. So I was I was like thrilled at the opportunity, proud. I, I said, it's funny, it's funny. When I, one time I worked with Kathy Lee for years and I go, what are you most proud of? Are you, you must be so proud. And she said, not proud as much as I am grateful. And that stuck with me. That was also in 2008. And I'm like, wow, I think of that. I'm like, okay, rather than be proud, I'm just really grateful. So there's nothing wrong with being proud of yourself, but I just think of the things I'm really grateful to have experienced. And that is one of them. And then I'm, I'm, I'm so in the midst of the shows I'm doing on the air right now. And I'm really proud of the people that are working so hard to make them happen. Um, Christina on the coast on HGTV and the spinoff show, Christina in the country is so great. I love it. And then um, Top Love with Hillary Farr is shooting. So I'm like, I can't believe, I can't believe that I'm fortunate enough to be able to be trusted with these wonderful people and the wonderful things that they do. I'm humbled when someone reaches out to me asking for advice or help. I don't always know the right answer because the truth is the paths are always different. I was just listening to someone earlier today, I think I was on a TikTok and it's like, take the number, the number eight, right? You want to get to the number eight? Well, there's six plus two, there's four plus four, there's seven plus one, there's five plus three. The destination is eight, but there's, they just handed you a bunch of ways you can get there, you know? And so the same can be said of a career in show business. Um, you're not going to, there's not just one way to do it. And if there were, we would all do it that way. And that would be kind of boring because then you wouldn't be surprised as much by the things that happen along the way. So you're just trying to create your eight. I mean, I don't know where that number came from, but like, my point is just like, get yourself there, do your own math sometimes and trust yourself and take chances and ask for help. Ask for help. Okay. Thank you. One last question. What's the project sure. that taught you the most? I... 
I think truthfully, there was a, a I don't want to name the exact project because here's the thing. I, I, I worked on a project that I walked away from and it, because it made me unhappy and um, I had to reconcile with myself the fact that people might think I was fired. And now look around, like everybody's been fired at some point, you know, like you, you get to a point in your life when you realize, oh yeah, I joined the club. There's a special club, everyone's in it. Eventually almost everyone has gotten fired, let go, laid off, whatever the word is. So like, put that out of your head. It doesn't matter if you're unhappy, who cares? But I, wa I wasn't fired, but I couldn't stop thinking, here I am still saying, there's that stigma. I was like, no, but, but the truth is I'm leaving on my own. I'm leaving a good amount of money um, probably some of the most money I've made, but I just wasn't happy. It wasn't fulfilling me. And I thought to myself, well, I, and I also, and another one is the things I've said no to. There was another job that came my way that would be incredibly financially lucrative, but I thought to myself, this is going to be miserable. And I knew in advance, and I knew if I signed that contract with a really, really big name, that I would not be happy. I knew it right out of the gate. And I'm like, well, what? what's the, there's no conundrum here to me. Money's great, but at the expense of what? You know, stress and pain and um, unhappiness isn't just affecting you, it's affecting everyone around you. So you can compromise your marriage, you can compromise your relationship with your children, your family. So I'm like, is that a risk I'm willing to take so I can have a summer house? No not willing to do it. So I, I think it's the projects that I've learned from are the ones that where I learned the most about myself is like the money will come and you don't have to have a ton of it to be happy, but um, you won't get happy just from having it. Um, and so those, those, there are two projects in particular that um, are big enough that I can't say who, what they were, but I learned a lot from saying I did the right thing one by walking away and two by never walking in. Mm. Oh, thank you so much. This has been great. Where oh, can people you. find you? Because um, everybody needs to be following you. You're a fun poster. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, I've, I've decided also like just to be silly and kind of insert my stand up and whether people understand it or not into comedic sketches. <laughs> Sometimes they're weird. But I, I mean, I'm, again, it's kind of a variety, Heinz 57 variety of posts, but it's Brian Balthazar on Instagram and TikTok is where I'm doing most of my stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you are interested in media coaching for you or your team, please shoot me a note and please be sure to visit ableintermedia.com and download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please be sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.